Okay, I would encourage you to grab a Bible if you don't have a Bible this morning because we're going to kind of take a journey through the Old Testament. We're going to start in Isaiah. And actually, if you turn to Isaiah 53, I'm going to read all of Isaiah 53 this morning. So we get the whole spectrum of what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks heading up to Easter. But then we're going to take a journey through the old kind of discovers uh, for me one of the one of the coolest uh, pictures that we see in the Old Testament um, and just to give you a, a, a glimpse up front I mean we're going to take and we're going to see something that starts as kind of a, a pictorial portrayal of God and his power and then it moves and becomes a prophecy and then it becomes it points to the Messiah the person of the Messiah and then actually is coming and it's just it really it just illustrates for us just in a in a cool way the the unity the continuity of scripture and how the old testament and new testament they just in a wonderful way capture for us together um this story uh that we're going to be going over the next five weeks so isaiah 53 starting at verse one Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's incredible. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see. And I'm going to change the translation there. It says the light of life, which comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. But I think a better translation is... He will see his seed, and it's referring back to the offspring that he's going to see as a result of his death and resurrection. He will see and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The... um, if you want a project, I'd encourage you to memorize Isaiah 53. It's, it's incredible. In- incredible prophecy that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. But just before we start this morning, let me, let me ask God to just open our hearts as we look. And Father, I, I ask you that. Um, <laughs> just in reading through Isaiah 53, again, it just, it's incredible But I realize that as incredible as this prophecy was written 600 years before the coming of Jesus, I mean, how accurately and in such a detailed manner describes his life and his death and the the impact of his death and his resurrection. Father, how just with our human eyes or brains, we could read that and it wouldn't make any sense at all. And so, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just teach us this morning and impact our hearts and our minds with these incredible truths about you, our, de- our deliverer and redeemer. Amen. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite um, stories in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 24 where there's two guys walking... Uh, from Jerusalem towards a little town called Emmaus. And it's the day after Jesus was raised from the dead. And they're walking along. And they're kind of pouty-faced and sad-sacked. And, I mean, they're crushed because just three days before, this person that they'd followed for three years and their their lives had been revolved around, and uh, they thought he was the Messiah. Three days ago, had been killed. Out of jealousy, the religious leaders had handed him him over to Pilate, and and Pilate, uh, with the authority of Rome, had put him to death. And they were devastated, along with all the rest of Jesus' followers. And here, so three days later, they're they're walking towards this town of Emmaus, and they're they're, they're just reminiscing over hopes dashed. And now what do they do? And then... Somebody joins them, and it's Jesus. And although Jesus, it says in the, in the text that Jesus hides himself from them, so they, they can't tell it's Jesus. And, and so as they're walking along, he, he says, Hey, guys, what are you talking about? Maybe not quite in that vernacular. Um, and they, they look at him like, You've got to be kidding. Like, are you from Mars, or where, where have you been? Um, haven't you heard what happened? They, they related the story about Jesus. And at, this, at that point in the conversation, Jesus interrupts them, and, and still without revealing himself to them, he says this, and these are incredible words. He said, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And he's describing his life and his death. And, and did he not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, is that a Bible study you'd like to have been a part of? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it won't be that great with me doing it and Daniel doing it, but, but taking that question that Jesus asked his disciples on that road to Emmaus for the next five weeks, culminating in Easter, we'd like to ask that question, what had to happen? What had to happen for Jesus to enter his glory? And, and to put it in another way, for him to accomplish everything that he had to accomplish, why he came to the earth, what had to happen for him to accomplish his work and return to his Father in heaven? And, and so that's going to be our topic over the next five weeks. Uh, just to give you a quick glimpse as... as uh, Daniel mentioned, today we're going to be looking at the incarnation and, and titling it The Revealing of the Arm of the Lord. And it's for me, it's a fun topic. The incarnation. Next week, we're going to look at his identification with sinners. The next week, we're going to look at his rejection, then his substitutionary atonement, and then finally his resurrection. And all of these out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and then a lot of other scriptures in the Old Testament. And, and again, I, I just, I pray that you will just get excited as you see the incredible story that started way back in Genesis chapter 3 and then continued all the way, just the unity and continuity of God's plan of salvation, redemptive history that provides us hope in a world that we need hope. And so that's our task. Now, as we come to Isaiah 53.1, I want you to try to remember back um, to when you were a child. And that'll be easier for some of you than for me. Um, I want you to try and remember back to the excitement of Christmas or the excitement of your birthday. Okay? And... Especially at Christmas, you know, the, the presents are under the tree and you're... And just the anticipation and the, the excitement, the, the, the eagerness about what is in that box or what are in those boxes. And you, and you're try, and you, you put a lot of thought into this as you, you looked at uh, the size of the box, the shape of the box. And if your parents were really generous, they let you hold it and shake it. And, uh, and just the anticipation and just the excruciating pain of waiting for days and days and days, the wondering, is it what I want? I mean, it kind of looks like it could be the right shape, the right size, but, but if it isn't, I mean, it'd be crushing. I mean, life won't be worth living anymore. And, and so the anticipation as you, as you waited, uh, am I going to get what, I, what I've been wanting? Now, if some of you didn't have such an exciting childhood. You could probably relate in another way. Um, for some of you, it's the anticipation of when you're going to do your tax refund pretty soon. And just the anticipation of, am I going to get a refund? 
or is Uncle Sam going to get my refund? <laughs> Maybe the anticipation of, uh, I know for me this was uh, waiting for a letter in the mail that would say I was accepted to university. Uh, for some of you, uh, maybe in the past or maybe in the present, it's, it's wondering if that phone call will come. You know, with that uh, person inviting you out on a date that you've been hoping will call. Uh, you know, some of you probably have much lower expectations and it's just, you know, getting a scratch thing in the, in the mail with a coupon and being excited that it could be a 50% off instead of 15% off. If that's your level of, you know, of expectation, I'll talk to you afterwards, okay? The, um, now, I want you to multiply that by 1,000%. If, if we're to put ourselves in the sandals of the people of Israel, who for hundreds and hundreds of years have had the expectation and the anticipation and the excitement of, is he coming? And when is he coming? And how is he coming? And where is he coming? And, and who is he going to be? As they're waiting for the, the revealing of this promised one, the promised deliverer who's going to come and deliver them from all of their shame and their sin, their brokenness and their slavery. And our question that we're looking at this, this morning had to echo their anticipation. What had to happen as they, as they looked at the prophecies and they followed the, the prophetic scriptures, what had to happen as they looked forward to his coming? Well, this morning we're going to look at the first part of the answer to that, what had to happen. And, and it's in Isaiah 53, verse 1. And... If you look at it again, it, it just kind of tantalizes us. It says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so the question this morning is, what is this? Or who is this? When it says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, this is what I want you to do. Got your Bibles or your phones, with, if, if it has a Bible on it. And I want you to start back at Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to go through this pretty quick, about 500 scriptures. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, about, about 15, okay? We're going to start at Exodus chapter 6. I'm gonna, I'm, it's like I'm holding my Bible, but I actually printed them all out so I can do it quickly, okay? So I'm not looking at some comics while I'm talking to you. Okay, Exodus chapter 6. And this is what I want you to, to try and get the unfolding of this story as it unfolded to them. Now, see, we're looking at it all at once, but for them it was an unfolding story of who or what this arm of the Lord was. It starts back in Exodus chapter 6. And verse 6, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's the first instance we see. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
That's the beginning of this story of the arm of the Lord. Turn to Exodus fifteen sixteen. Exodus fifteen sixteen. This is the song of Moses and the Israelites after God has just opened up the Red Sea and has miraculously and powerfully delivered them through the Red Sea and then closed it over the Egyptians. It says, terror and dread fall upon them, the Egyptians, because of the greatness of your arm. Okay, there's that word again. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by, whom you purchased. Now flip to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Stay with me now. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 34. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Deuteronomy 7, a couple chapters farther. Deuteronomy seven seventeen. If you say in your heart, Deuteronomy 7.17, If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. And then chapter 9, Deuteronomy 9.29. And in case you're wondering, I left out a lot of verses. There's, there's a lot more. Yeah, I could have kept you all day, okay? Deuteronomy 9.29, For they are your people and your heritage, you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And, and I like this verse because it kind of puts it together where it's saying that when it's symbolizing God's arm, it's talking about God's power, Okay? So God's arm clearly meant God's power. Okay, now we're going to flip farther. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Uh, keep going forward. We're moving forward, we're not going back. Second, in, if you're looking at the Bible I'm looking at, it would be page 320. Second Chronicles 32.7. You got it? Second Chronicles 32.7. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. Why does he say that? This is Hezekiah speaking. Because, verse 8, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. You could say, but with us is the arm of the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. 
Okay, now we're going to flip to Job. Job chapter 26. Job is just before Psalms. I want you to, you get in the feel, this is, this covers lots of books in the Bible. And just as we see the unity and continuity of Scripture here. Job 26, verse 2. Job 26, 2. He says, how, ha- how you have helped him who has no power, how you have saved the arm that has no strength. And again, I'm just showing you this because it shows that arm in the Bible ref- is equivalent or parallel to the word power. Turn to Job 40, Job chapter 40, verse 9, where it connects it with God. Job chapter 40, verse 9 It says, have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? And so it says, I mean, do you have power like God? Have you an arm like God? Now into the psalm, Psalm 44.3. You still with me? Come on. Psalm 44.3. It says, not by their own sword did they win the land. And it's talking about the people of Israel as they entered the land of Canaan. Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. And and I want you to notice a slight shift here. We're up into this point the arm of the Lord is referred to his power, where now there's a shift, and it's not just referring to his power, but to his deliverance. Not by, your, not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm, you could say, saved them, delivered them. And so there's a, a progression in the understanding of this arm of the Lord, now referring to God as their deliverer. Look at Psalm 98.1. It continues this Psalm 98.1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So God's arm works salvation for him. Okay, now we're going to Shift into Isaiah. We're getting, we're getting close, okay? Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33, verse 2. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. And this is a Hebrew parallelism. Be our arm, be our salvation. It's making them the same. Isaiah 40, verse 9. A little farther. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. And as we come to Isaiah 40, we're making another transition from God's arm referring to his power, from God's arm referring to his deliverance or his salvation, to hear God's arm begins to be addressed prophetically of the Messiah, of the Messiah, the promised 
deliverer who is to come. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And this is a prophecy that behold your God is coming. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Turn to Isaiah chapter 51. Please, Isaiah 51, verse 5. As this, these prophecies continue now of the arm of the Lord, who's the predicted Messiah. Isaiah 51, 5. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. For my arm they wait. For the promised Messiah, deliverer, they wait. Isaiah 52. We're getting close. Isaiah 52, verse 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. And God's name refers to who he is. My people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak Here I am. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then I'm skipping down to verse 10, Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm exposed his holy arm. He's revealed his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so we come to Isaiah 53, verse 1. When the prophet says, so who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's believed our message? And to whom has this arm of the Lord, this power of God, this deliverer of God, this promised deliverer, the Messiah, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And and we get a glimpse in just the first part of verse 2. Do you see it? He grew up. (laughs) That this promised, this power of God, this deliverer, this salvation, this promised deliverer is a person. (laughs) Is a person. Um not just a symbol of power or of salvation, but a person. So turn with me to Isaiah 59, and we're going to continue for a few more verses this story of the arm of the Lord. Isaiah 59, verse 14. Isaiah 59, verse 14, and... Isaiah 59, verse 59 is, is, what, is one of the most depressing chapters probably in, in, in all the Bible if you're to read through the whole thing because it just talks, it, it talks about 
how bad a shape our world is in, <laughs> how utterly wicked and, and broken and, and sinful. And so picking up at verse 14, we get God's perspective. It says, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the public square and uprightness cannot enter. It's a pretty good description of how you could describe our world. Verse 15, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And then it says, the Lord saw. And it displeased the Lord that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. There's no one that can do anything about the sinfulness and the wickedness in this world. Then his own arm brought him salvation. I love it. And his righteousness upheld him. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And it describes God looking at our world uh, with, I think, a, a, a mixture of anger and anguish over its brokenness and sinfulness and sees that there's no human being that can do or will do anything about it. And God says, I'm going to do something. And so God comes. He puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And if those f- verses look familiar to you, it's, it's because they're quoted again in Ephesians chapter 6. In the passage on the armor of the Lord where it says, be strong in the Lord. And to be strong in the Lord is to put on his armor. And to put on his armor is to put on righteousness as a breastplate and salvation as a helmet. And what it's saying is, is if we want to be strong in the Lord, it's, it's to put on these things and it's putting on Jesus. It's putting on Jesus, who is the arm of the Lord, who is God himself who came to intervene in our sinfulness and wickedness and provide salvation. So just to take a quick little glimpse, there's just one little glimpse that I want you to see, one other little glimpse before we conclude here that I want you to see in Jeremiah, the next book. Um, Slightly different, but just another cool prophetic glimpse of Jesus as the arm of the Lord. Jeremiah 32 Verse 27, Jeremiah 32, 27. Verse 5, Jeremiah 27, 5. God says, it is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth. So see, we've seen this, this panorama of God is the arm of the Lord who brings salvation. The Messiah is the arm of the Lord who is the promised deliverer. Now we see the arm of the Lord being the one who made by his great power the heavens and the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right. Look at Jeremiah 32. One more verse. Jeremiah 32:17. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. 
And when I read this, immediately my mind went to John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, it says, That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that incredible? Just this panorama, this picture that God gives us way back, beginning in Exodus, and then this panorama throughout the scripture of the arm of the Lord, who God's power, God's deliverance, who is revealed to us as the person of Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might have a relationship again with God. You know, for the Jewish people, as, as this unfolded, it, it should have been, the wait is over. <laughs> the arm of the Lord was revealed. The Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, anguishing over the brokenness and sinfulness of his creation and the hopelessness that anything could be done about it, became himself a part of his creation, <laughs> became a human being, took upon himself human flesh that he might deliver his creation, us, from our sin and our brokenness and be restored to a relationship with him. Isn't that incredible? The power of God, the person of God, (laughs) revealed at Christmas so that we might enjoy, enjoy a Calvary and an Easter. You see, Easter begins at Christmas. Um, Christmas was the first thing that had to happen for hope to be restored to a hopeless humanity, a lost humanity. Um, you know, it's as I was just going over this again, it, it's truth that we can so easily take, take for granted. And yet it's so profound. The, the creator God of the universe power itself. I mean, the power that's described at the beginning is the power that opened up the Red Sea and and they walked through it and then it was covered again over the Egyptian. That power became pathetically weak in Bethlehem hundreds of years later. The power of God, the promised deliverer came to be a, a helpless little baby. Became Flesh became a human being in order for the rest of the story to happen, in order for our deliverance from hopelessness and sinfulness and brokenness, for it to happen, God's power became pathetically weak, a helpless little baby, a human being like us, so that God's power then could break through our sinfulness and our death and deliver us and restore us into relationship with him. That's the incarnation. You know, the question is, why did it have to happen this way? I mean, why couldn't God just wave a magic wand over our brokenness and our sinfulness and just eliminate sin? Why couldn't God just send an angel to deal with our sin and our brokenness? What is it that necessitated that the power of God become pathetically weak, a baby, helpless, in order to deal with our sin and our brokenness. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in the following weeks. 
Just let me close by again quoting Isaiah, and I just want these words to be left with you. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the public squares. Uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no one and wondered that there was no one to do anything about it, to intercede. And so his own arm brought salvation. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for just the, I mean, the incredible story of salvation that we just again began to look at this morning. Uh, Father, of your power becoming weak and helpless, a baby in a barn in order to bring us salvation. Father, I pray that you would use these words to just draw us into your word and to to lure us into understanding your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, open our eyes to see and to be amazed and to just want to know you and be yours more than ever. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.